be ready. It's never as easy as it looks. And it's, it's, but it's, it's something if you learn to manage time, like we're talking about just earlier, um, and you, and you commit to the effort. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's uh, grown several businesses to seven and eight figure uh, companies, as well as the uh, founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And uh, today on the podcast, we have another great, uh, great guest, uh, Matt or Matthew Everson. And uh, Matthew, just as a way of uh, giving a, a little bit of introduction, so uh, started his journey with a uh, French degree, and his uh, dad kicked him out of the house, told him he needed to get a job. So he uh, went and got a job with a uh, Scubby Insurance Company and sold annuities until uh, he decided that uh, selling people annuities wasn't uh, his life's mission. He wanted to do something more with it. So uh, went down and uh, started uh, more of a uh, business uh, with uh, fire protection or helping people with uh, houses and fires. And then uh, they've now had an idea that uh, to dealing with trusts and wills and fights and issues and whatnot. So he'll give a much full or fuller overview, but that's just a brief introduction. So welcome on to the podcast, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, so I gave the very brief introduction, starting with your dad kicking you out of the house and saying, if you're going to get a French degree, you got to go get a job. But maybe if you want to kick off your journey from there and tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, just my dad probably did the right thing just to give him <laughs> credit. I was upset at the time. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I did get a job at an insurance company that was more interested in profits than the people that they were serving and learned quite a lot of things that I didn't realize would become so handy later in life. But uh, I started uh, my own financial planning firm, ran that for about 20 years, sold that. And um, in the process of selling that, uh, right after, two months after, our community had a, a devastating uh, wildfire. And... Um, so my sabbatical was before you jump in the wildfire, just because I you jumped over one thing that is, is probably interesting. So you worked yeah. for annuities for for a while, and you decided, hey, they're putting profit over people, which you know I think that that's a hard. I'm not defending them by any means, but I think it sometimes can be hard, even in a good business, in the sense that if you're not profitable, you're not going to be a business. Your doors aren't open, and so you're not able to help anyone. And yet you also have to make sure you're taking care of the people that you're serving and doing a good job there. So there's a bit of that balance or dichotomy, but you decided, mm -hmm. Hey, they're not, they don't have that right balance or they're not putting the priorities right. So then yeah. you know, I, what I would say though, is I, I profits are important. I have a philosophy of people, planets and profit. So that if, if you have all the profits in the world, but no planet to live on, what good does it do? And if you got nobody to share that with, it's also pretty boring, but you don't have to make a profit at the harm of someone else. That was my problem. And uh, I felt like I could give financial advice to the benefit of the person receiving the advice as opposed to the detriment of that person. And, uh, sure. so I did that no, and, I, and I certainly agree. I think that there's, there is a balance, but you have to make sure that that balance is there. And if you put the profit above anything else, it can lead to a, a not, or a, not a good business arrangement or not something that you're, you're taking or providing value to the customer. So when you, you know, you were there for a period of time and the, the question I was going to jump into before you got over to the fire stuff was, you know, how long, how long were you there? And, you know, cause then you jumped over to your own firm. And so what made you kind of, what was the tripping point of saying, okay, I've, I've, I've decided I don't want to be here and I'm going to start my own firm or how did you make that transition? 
Yeah, I was I, well inside the company. I began to realize what it was they were doing. You said it earlier. I was a French major. I didn't know what an annuity was, and uh, it took me a couple of years to figure that out. Uh, going through the training at the company I, internally, I was a customer service and marketing for the insurance company, not making the sales. And uh, learning how the different operations worked internally at the company, I started to realize that the guys that were selling the product uh, oftentimes weren't the most uh, ethically driven, and uh, and I just couldn't. Uh, there was actually a moment where, give my mom some credit, she called me up and said, so, you know, that company that you're working with, don't they have something to do with annuities? And this guy wants to sell me one, and I would, I, you know, I'd like you to have a look at it. And I realized, boy, I'm part of a machine here, mm. and I can't really rationalize my, my part out of that just because I work internally and don't actually do the sales. And uh, so I decided, you know, take the knowledge that I had gained there and try to go into business for myself where I could do financial advice, but do it in an ethical way. Mm. So I was, I was at that company for three or four years. Uh, I, I did work for another individual for about a year, year and a half before I started in, into my own company. And uh, I, I, technically I was decent at, at financial planning, but uh, at running a business, you know, that's, you know, a, a bigger, it turned out to be that was a bigger challenge, actually, than giving people solid financial advice. No, and I think that people oftentimes, you know, shortchange, you know, what it is to run. I mean, meaning that you get very good and skilled at one thing and you say, no, you know, and I'll take attorneys as an example. I, you know, I know a lot of really good attorneys that absolutely give you great legal advice and yet are terrible at running a business. They don't know what it's like to manage payroll and finances and taxes and hiring and firing. And they're saying, oh, I got my own client base or I can do, all, you know, I can do that. And then you get into it and there's a whole lot more involved with running a, a, a business than just doing, you know, your job well that you, when you work for someone else. And so I, I certainly yeah. resonate, resonate with that. So, all right. So you did that for a while. You decided, okay, I'm going to run an ethically ethical business. And then I cut you off and you're part of the journey. So what, then you got over to the, uh, the fires that were going on and then I'll let you pick up from there. Yeah, so we had a firm, my own firm for many years, MJ Everson Financial. We sold it to some great guys uh, that run the business beautifully these days. And we, uh, I was going to take a sabbatical, and then fires broke out. 5,500 homes burned in our town. And um, I quickly started to jump in the ring to try and volunteer and help out because I had time and some knowledge. Uh, and what I saw was a, a kink in the hose as far as claims go. Mm. And... Um, Persons that have damages have to prove those damages, and the insurance companies have set up a, a difficult way to do that. And um, in a situation where so many people need that same service all at once, there just weren't enough contractors that knew how to give insurance companies the kind of data they were looking for. Hmm. So we, we, we looked at that model and, and decided we could really quickly, easily crack it with my knowledge of insurance company operations and my business partner, who I found, who was a, a contractor. And so we did that for about two years. and. Over a hundred uh, estimates of damages brought back into the to the local community about fifty million dollars in claims that were initially being withheld. So hmm. it was a very satisfying triple bottom line business. I helped those people. Those people will help our community, and it was a win win. And and we still did pretty good as a business. So the first okay. person we helped there uh, as a, as a test case was an attorney, uh, a couple, both are estate planning attorneys, Adam and Ann. And uh, they'd lost their home and um, they needed to prove to their insurance company what that loss value was. And so I, I gave him my idea. He ran with it. We did it like an attorney might do a contingency. I said, you know, if this works and you guys get money from the insurance company, then pay me. But I don't want to take your money if, if, if this is a pie in the sky idea. 
and uh, it worked out beautifully. And uh, later on, he and I were sitting down discussing a case in which there was some financial malfeasance and uh, senior elder abuse, financial abuse with an annuity and uh, filled him in on my knowledge of that, helped him with that situation. And at the end of the day, it was a, it was a ugly outcome in court. It didn't go the way we wanted it to um, because of technicalities in the law. And, um, but I said, Joy, isn't there anything that could prevent this? And he actually told me that he had a great idea that would prevent a lot of what we were just dealing with in that particular case. And that's what brought me into Illumino, which we started last, at the beginning of the year in full force, but really last year. So before we jump into kind of, you know, the, what you're doing now, just one other kind of follow-up question. So jumping back a little bit to the fire. So you're running your own annuities or financial firm, you know, and, and helping people out that way. When you got into, you know, kind of helping people with the fires and helping, you know, deal with them, make all the claims and do all that, did you leave the practice? Is that the motivator that to leave the practice or sell off the practice? Or had you already left no. that and you were semi-retired? Or what made you no, decide? I had, uh, I, had been in the practice, I had been in the process of selling the practice for quite some time. In August of 2017, we finalized the deal. And I had intended to take a sabbatical for about a year. And I want to clarify, we, we weren't in annuities. We were anti-annuity. <laughs> but the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the intention was to take about a year and, and find a new way to formulate a business. Or maybe that we also contemplated a nonprofit, but a different kind of business that would follow that same uh, philosophy of ours, triple bottom line, help out the community and give back uh, in some way. So we weren't sure whether we were going to do nonprofit. And I'm talking when I say we, my wife is a big partner in all of this, Sarah. Um, she and I were thinking about that, and then the fires broke out. And um, I saw this interesting opportunity. I was, I was volunteering for a charity called United Policyholders, who, whose whole mission is to just educate people that have suffered from a disaster as to what their insurance rights are. And so I was just helping them and watching a crowd get noticeably angry, angry at a, a seminar, a presentation this, uh, the, the executive director that, that in, uh, charity was giving about how to prove your loss to the insurance company, she's just get an estimate from a contractor and the insurance company will help you out. But contractors don't know how to do that estimate. This crowd had already figured that out basically. And they were upset and I asked her about it afterwards and she explained the process. And I said, boy, I understand insurance company processes inside and out. That doesn't sound that hard to me. Um, just like if you explained how to file a motion down at the court, you'd be like, this is easy, go do this. <laughs> You're trained in this, right? But uh, other than I don't have any idea how to file a motion. Well, somebody in your office does. <laughs> file a patent application or file a trademark. Absolutely. Yep. You know how that, that and that's a, that's a perfect example, right? It's a very convoluted process. It doesn't have to be quite as bureaucratic or crazy, but it is. And you have the skills to get through that. I happen to know how insurance companies, you know, they don't really talk left hand or right hand. And you got to use specific language and you have to use specific forms. So we were able to get through that, that, that labyrinth and help people get the data they could use to prove to the insurance company using the insurance company's own software. Mm. So we, we, we turned that around on them and uh, said, this is your software. These are the numbers that are real though on the ground here. And uh, you'll have to pay if our coverage, you know, demands that you pay. So that was very satisfying to do that. And we ended up, now we do that at multiple locations. I don't know if you've heard on the news, California seems to be on fire most of the time. And a uh, big fire up in Paradise, town called Paradise, where 14,000 homes were burned down. And we help out there now and we just developed. So I've really got a side company in this contracting estimating business now, but my partner there and I 
are also consulting on a PG&E lawsuit case. So there's there's a lot that went into that that we were able to help with just because we have specific kind of knowledge. And um, but this this uh, this other business, the Illumino, is, is a similar type of a thing. It's a, it's a, you don't really know that you don't have proper insurance coverage until you make a claim. That's the general. <laughs> the, the, you know, most people out there find out that they weren't covered properly after the fact. Um, most of these trusts and probate and uh, litigation around estates happens to be something of a surprise to the beneficiaries, and they're finding out about it after the fact, after mom's dead, after dad's dead, or after the crime's been committed, and the money's gone, these types of things. And they didn't realize their situation wasn't as good as they thought it was. They thought they had insurance. They thought they had a living trust that they could take care of. The insurance fell short, or the trust wasn't quite protected well enough. So. Again, it's a business that we hope is going to be protective and then therefore good for people, not, not, not just taking money from people, but providing them a valuable service to protect their estate planning dreams and also profitable for us. Mm. It's a, it's, it fit right in my wheelhouse when he was describing it to me as to what they were trying to do, what they were trying to achieve. And, um, and then the idea itself had made sense to me as a former certified financial planner. There was always concern for me that trusts living trusts and wills, you know, they sit in safe deposit boxes or the back of somebody's shoe box in the back of their closet. And um, they're fairly susceptible to changes that are, you know, potentially fraudulent. And uh, a lot of holes in our system that allow for that. And nobody had ever come up with a, 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 a sort of comprehensive way to help people uh, lock down against that kind of fraud. Okay, and you may just want to uh, or move your microphone up just a little. There we go. Sure. Oh, you're you're good. So I want to make sure we catch every word. So, all right. So you you did that. So was it really the catalyst of kind of helping people out with fire? You know, the fires helping people out with you know making claims on their home and that they kind of push you into now. Let's help people with estate planning and you know what you're doing with Illuminote or how did yeah. you kind of you know is that kind of does that go hand in hand or how did that uh, how did that get you to where you're at today? Yeah, the, the, the experience with that fire claims company, uh, which we actually just call BW Builders, what we called it, but um, mm. really inspired me to think that my, my model for a business and the philosophy of a business can be really applied to anywhere that there's a challenge in the marketplace. Um, you can choose to be an IP attorney that helps people protect their intellectual property, or you can choose to be one that steals it, right? Or helps people steal it. Um, it it's, a, it's an ethical choice. And so you can get into business and apply business principles, standard business principles, sales, marketing, operational procedures, all that stuff, and, and do well profitability-wise. Uh, and you can, but what I'm finding is that you can also choose to look for opportunities that are going to allow you to be profitable, um, allow you to live a good lifestyle, but also allow you to create a community that you've served rather than exploited. Okay, no, that makes perfect sense. So, so yeah. now as you guys have now, I think you said mentioned it's the beginning of this year. Is that when you guys have started Illuminotes? Officially, we started in January. We've been working on it since uh, since August of last year, but we went full time and started working like real real guys at a job. Um, got into an office and everything in, in January this year. Okay, so you do that launch at the beginning of this year, and how's it how's it gone so far? And kind of what's the the next steps, or what's the next six uh, six to twelve months look like for you? Well, in this case, unlike the other businesses, it's really become much more than we thought it really could. Uh, initially, we thought we'd just sort of protect living trust, but it's spun into something that's a lot more involved as far as helping people protect any sort of uh, important document. But 
but it's 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 really focused on estate planning right now. We're developed almost all the way out with our software, so we've got some people that are have their uh, their living trust and their estate planning documents on our database to beta test, um, and and we don't really take people just straight from the public quite yet. But we've got a, a handful of folks, and we've got a lot of attorneys up and down the state of California, and we're we're working on working with attorneys in other states too to make sure that this would apply. Uh, across the board, across the country, and we did just get a favorable ruling published just the other day. We didn't. Our, you know, Adam and Ann's law firm did not or anything, but a, a case came across where um, an attorney, an estate planning attorney, had actually wanted to designate that any future amendments to this trust need to come through my office, and the trustors and the grantors agreed to that, and they put it in writing in the trust, and then there was an amendment made later on. And it hadn't gone through that process. And it was a, a kid trying to take a little bit more than his fair share. Mm. Um, they ended up that the attorneys uh, that represented the, the other siblings that got kind of cut out of the fair share uh, took it to case, took the case to court, got a favorable ruling. And now so there's a, there's a precedent that hadn't existed before that you can actually specify uh, direct procedures as far as a, a future amendments on a, on a document like a living trust. And so that helps us a lot standpoint of law firms looking for ways that they can feel comfortable with this idea uh it helps nope, looks like audio is getting just a little quiet sorry about that let's put some tape on it i'll hold it like that <laughs> the uh yeah so we got that that decision came out recently that's really been helpful for us because we want to sort of slowly launch this but quickly launch this at the same time uh, we really want the help of the law firms that are practicing in estate planning to see that this is a value add that they can help their clientele with um, because I think a slow burn like that eventually it will come across I don't know how many subscribers you have to your podcast but hopefully we get on other podcasts down the road and eventually you know come across different articles on the on the internet that serve that space of state telling attorneys financial financial advisors that kind of thing and um, eventually grow this into a nice database that initially it protects clients you know they have trust they want those 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 wishes enacted in the trust and the way they, they wrote it down. Um, but eventually this also helps the financial industry verify that the account being opened is legitimate. And, hmm. Yeah, use myself for example, when someone would come into our firm with an account titled in the living trust, uh, I handed them a form that said certification of trust. And in the small, form, small print of that form, it said, what you're telling me is true and if it's not, it's not my fault and I'm not liable. Mm. Any bank, any brokerage firm, any place you go into to open an investment type of an account with your living trust gives you that same form saying, in essence, you're not lying to me. You are the trustee and you have the right to do this. Mm. And if you're not, it's not our problem. And, um, and so ostensibly a stepchild, a neighbor that helps out the elderly person, a friend of the family, whoever, could simply go on their word processor, write a, an amendment to a living trust and bring that into a brokerage firm or a bank or a title company or anything and say, I'm now the trustee of so-and-so. And there's not a legitimate way for those entities to verify and, uh, and identify that that's a, a solid amendment, not a fraudulent. Okay. No, it, I, I, it makes perfect sense and uh, what you guys are setting out to accomplish and uh, you know why that would be beneficial both to 
will or people's wills or trusts and other people that as they pass on or want to make sure that that's secure and their wishes are executed. So I think it makes perfect sense. Well, so as we jump towards, uh, as we wrap up towards the end of the podcast, I always ask two questions at the end. So we'll probably jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, so what was the worst business decision you ever made? Well, probably actually something we talked about a little bit earlier, um, not or underestimating the backstage of the business operation underestimating being organized, being on time, setting meetings, showing up at those meetings on time, following through on promises, uh, all takes pretty good organizational and time management. And I underestimated those as not quite as important as, uh, as astute financial advice. And um, I think you need to have both, no matter what business you're in, you need to focus a lot on that backstage. Even though that's not the fun side, it's not the glory side, uh, it's, it can, it can wreck you. And until I figured that out, I, I struggled as a business owner. So it took a little while, but I, I got together on that idea and, uh, really started focusing more on supporting the business so that when you're out on that stage and when you're trying to make that sale or get that new client or move that product, you're ready to do so. And it's effective and it's, it's a solid, it's a solid situation. No. Yeah. And I, I, and I, it's kind of what we touched on before, but I think that there's, a lot of times you think that all that stuff is easier. It doesn't take much work. And I think that it requires, you know, a lot of time and effort to educate yourself or to bring on people that know how to manage it or have that type of team. And, you know, sometimes as you can have your, if you're lucky, you can have those people on the team. Sometimes if you're a small business and you have to get every, you know, wear multiple hats and get it all done, then you may have to do it yourself. But I think that's one that oftentimes you think, Oh, I, I do all the hard stuff. I get it. I, I do all that figured out. The rest stuff is easy and you can underestimate that. So I think that's yeah. a, point so okay as we jump to the the second question i always ask is so if you're to, talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them be ready it's never as easy as it looks and it, it's it's but it's it's something if you learn to manage time like we're talking about just earlier um and you and you commit to the effort you can do it there's there's a great uh meme or gif out no it's a meme out there that shows you know the the, the old phrase there's 10 percent of the the icebergs above the water hmm. and 90 percent under the water and it, it shows that's the life of an entrepreneur the the 90 percent that's under the water is all the fear that you have if you're not making money right now or the wonder if this idea is going to work or if that big case is going to sign and all, all the different anxieties you get and the frustrations you bump into whether it's with licensure government regulation or whether it's with competition that's being unfair or a lawsuit or anything like that you're you're constantly buffered as a business owner from different angles and uh, what a lot of folks see is, is successful businesses is they, they're seeing that 10 percent that tip of the iceberg that have already gone through and are still going through all of those challenges that are under the water uh, but they look successful to the outsider so i think a lot of people as they're new getting into business they've they're basing their business on, on a philosophy of their own in business. I want to do business like this. And that's based on something they've seen typically and, uh, and think they can do better at. And I think because that, that challenging, the hard work, the, the weed pulling of, uh, of owning a business is under that surface of the water. It's not seen by the outsider. A new person owning their own business is sometimes shocked by that. And, and it can defeat them if they, if they get overwhelmed. 
So hang yeah, in I, there, basically. I always kind of look at it as, you know, an overnight success 10 years in the making, right? And you always hear, you always say, oh, they just, they had a great idea and they were an overnight successful. Yeah, it may, that, that may have been the very last step in a very long chain that you, you only see the overnight success, but there's a lot of work and experience and time and thinking and everything else that went into that that you never see and you never, you know, you never see behind the curtain or, you know, below the iceberg type of thing. So I certainly think that that's, you know, a valid thing that for people to keep in mind and to learn is that, you know, there's a lot of work that goes along under the surface and a lot of it's fun and enjoyable. And it's part of the entrepreneur experience, but you need to be prepared that there's a lot of things that as you get things going that you're going to just have to be able to buckle and get ready and be set for. So. Well, yeah, I think if you see it that way, if, if, if you're, if you can stick it out and hang in there and keep working hard, it's hard at the beginning, but as you get more successful, it's really much more enjoyable to work for yourself in my opinion. Yep. So no, I completely agree. So now as, as we wrap things up and people want to, whether they want to check out your product or an attorney or they want to do wills and trusts or they're a bank or other places, or they want to invest in you guys, they want to work for you guys or anything else across the board. What's the best way to, to reach out to you guys or connect up with you? You reach out to me directly or you could at, at my email, which I think is on your, uh, maybe it might be on there, but the website secureyourtrust.com www.secureyourtrust.com. And we are uh, probably best right now if it's an attorney just to have a phone call, a financial advisor just have a phone call or an email, maybe even a Zoom meeting, meet up, talk um, about how the process works until we're ready to really press live. And the end goal here is to have somebody that's like our parents be able to go onto that website and do this with very little assistance from their financial attorney or or their advisor or their attorney and be able to do this pretty easily. At first, it's going to work through offices like that. Professionally. All right. Well, I certainly encourage people to check out Secure Your Trust to or see if it uh, is a match for them. I think everybody at some point and probably much earlier in life than you ever expect is going to need a will or a trust uh, to make sure their the, their their estate and the, is executed and uh, everything is uh, done to their their wishes. So certainly check that out and uh, all of my attorney friends as, as well. Um, so for those people, or thanks again for coming on, Matthew. For those people that are wanting to come on and tell their own journey, if you'd like to apply to be on the podcast, you can go to Inventive Journey.